morning. Blessed New Year. So, um, what I want to talk about again is on the New Year. And um, I usually, I feel like we heard yesterday, it's, um, it's a good time to examine where we're going, where we've been, and how we're doing. And uh, I really liked the points yesterday of prioritizing our life and um, to pick out the things that are important. Usually, when we're busy going over here and over there and all over the place and are busy with our jobs, busy with distractions, we miss these, these moments where we realize about the things that, will, that only matter, that will matter only at the end when we come before the Lord. So... I feel it, it's something we, we can do at the beginning of each year. It's a good time or a good idea to start with reviewing our track record. And we will be, we are best qualified to check our own track record. We know if it's, if we're honest, we know if we're true with it, we know how we're doing. Um, Usually, we will know the best if we are willing to look at it. So I would like to bring, hopefully, an encouragement today on keeping the faith and enduring to the end. <clears throat> and like I said, because in the end, that is all that will matter. We live in a world that is demanding and that could easily draw us away from the truth. Or we could simply be in a state where we are desensitized to the truth. I want to talk on that fact and bring our attention to the reality of how our faith is towards God. And I'm inspired with, uh, with this one parable that Jesus shared in Luke 18. When he finished off the parable, he said, When the Son of Man will return, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? And we're going to start with that parable in Luke 18. But before you go there, let's bow our heads before the Lord this morning. Lord, we come before you in Jesus' precious name. I want to worship you, Lord. I want to thank you again for a day so that we can meet on this morning again. Because you have risen, Lord Jesus. You have conquered that. You have conquered sin. We want to remember, first and foremost, you, Lord Jesus, this morning. We pray, Lord, that you can use your word to remind and to exhort and to examine our lives. To, to see, Lord, where we're at with you this morning. We pray, Lord, that if we are desensitized to your truth, if we are hard towards your word, we pray, Lord, that you soften our hearts this morning. 
We pray, Lord, that when you visit, that your visitation is in now or is it at the end of time, that we will be found faithful in knowing you, in being obedient to your word. Lord, we, we pray that we are not in a state where we are deceived, but we are in a state, Lord, that loves you, that follows you, devoted to you. We pray for your blessing upon this hour here. Holy Spirit, move and touch our hearts. As we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we can start in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Luke chapter 18, uh, verses 1 to 8. <clears throat> And we'll, we'll find out that Jesus, at this point, he went through this parable for a reason. It was, wasn't just came out of thin air or a new idea. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So he starts out with that how... His people need to live their life. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regarded man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect to cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus said, do you hear what the unjust judge said here? And he said, and shall God not, shall God not avenge his own elect, but providing they always ought to pray and not lose heart and have their faith in God. And he, can't, like, and, he, and he stops that parable in verse 8 as if he's saying, will there be enough found faithful that will be, be capable of doing just that? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So after another year has passed, and we're approaching another year closer, and yet closer to eternity. We can see, we can find the urgency in this parable of what Jesus was talking about. Especially, if we look at the previous chapter, Jesus talked about the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And this is what led him to that parable in Luke 17.30. And he, he said it for a reason. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. There's, there's a certain ingredient there 
in a man of God, in a woman of God, that they have to be on guard. There has to be a sensitivity there to the signs of the times, to how we live our lives, where we're going. It's, if, if, you, if you look at these verses, it spells out intentional lifestyle that's, that has a purpose that seeks to please God. Let's look at the previous chapter. First, he talks about being rejected. He said, I'm being rejected by this generation. But then he goes on to warn them. It's going to be like in the days of Noah when the Son of Man will return. In Luke 17, that's a previous chapter. In verse 27, he said, the eight... They drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What, what do we see here? Life was going pretty normally. They drank, they married, they were given in marriage. And moving on in verse 28, he said, Likewise, as what also in the days of Lot, they ate. They drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But in the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it ran fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And sadly, we know the outcome of most people on both of these accounts. We know the outcome with Noah, there was only eight. And out of Sodom, three people came out. 31, Luke 17. In that day, he was on the housetop, and his goats are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who was in the field, let him not turn back. Okay, just think about it, about this verse. The urgency and the importance of being ready, being engaged, and obeying the commandments of Christ. If we're not ready always, as Jesus later on commends, how will we have the know-how, how will we have the capability of reacting at such a level? He who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. <clears throat> in 32, remember Lot's wife. She wasn't quite ready, was she? She wasn't quite ready to leave Sodom. She wasn't ready to leave her former life. Even though there were angels there, they were leading them out of it, she still looked back. Jesus said at himself, like, look at, look at Lot's wife. We could be in the same situation. We can be looking back continuously. We can be looking at our lives. We could be looking at the things of Sodom right here. And Jesus said at himself, look at Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. 
In 33, he says that whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whosoever loses his life will preserve it. So looking at chapter 17, it brings the point or the urgency of the parable in chapter 18. And it's, it's the same thing with our lives. We live, we eat, we drink, we buy, we sell, we plant, we build, and we are given in marriage. Jesus' heart in, this, in these passages was his coming and also his return. And so even now as we look at our lives and our, prior, and our priorities, we can be so off the mark. It is so easy to be off the mark and miss what Jesus was talking about. Like Lot's wife. So, <clears throat> the parable of this unjust judge makes sense. And it's not because of the judge, but that we as God's people are in persistent in approaching our judge, the King of Kings, and that we know who he is, and that we are sensitive when he's moving, that we're ready, that we're alert. Usually when we talk about being ready and knowing and knowing that we're in the faith or thinking we are in the faith, there's one verse that comes to mind and I couldn't leave it out. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So there's, there's never a time not to be careful and not to be alert and not to be ready in, in the things of eternity. If we think we stand, he warns us, take care, take heed, lest ye fall. And take heed takes a daily devotion, a daily prioritizing of our day. As we heard yesterday, we have the privilege of looking back at our life and to examine and test ourselves. We have, we have this privilege. Like I said at the very beginning, nobody knows myself as well as I do. But am I willing to go there? Am I willing to, to give things up? Second Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. The first time I've noticed noticed in this verse there's two there's a two tier or two step of examining ourselves. Basically says first examine yourself, look in your life, check your heart. Check what's going on in your life. Check the priorities we have in our life. Check your passions. Do so you love the things that God loves? What makes you excited? As we spoke yesterday, are we excited when we can come together sharing the word? We're looking forward to coming together this morning. Let's examine ourselves. 
And then he says, test yourself. Walk through with it. Is it for real? We can check and examine students every day in school. But the only way we'll know for sure if they're ready to move on is if we test them. Testing, I believe in that sense, is putting our confessions into action. He says, do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And there's nothing like that there. Maybe you're disqualified. Maybe it is just idea. Maybe it is just words. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified, he told them. Jesus talked about weeds, about wheat and tares growing together. He said in Matthew thirteen thirty, "Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn." This thing is, should be a little bit concerning. That God will let us grow together with the wheat side by side. And that only at the end of time there will be the separation. Let both grow together. Let both go grow together until the harvest. Now, not to, to say that we don't know if we're standing or we don't know if we're in the faith. We don't know if how, our, how we stand in the faith. But it just calls for continuing examining ourselves, a continuing letting brothers speak into our lives, a continuing to be attentive to the Word of God. Just to have hearts that are ready, ready for the Lord to, to minister and to speak to us. And may God give us the grace to examine our lives and to see if our confession is real. If, if our tests are proven true. I've seen it so many times that we're Christian and in my life. It's an idea and an ideal ideology. But until I start living that life, it is not real. We often hear, um, especially if we are Christians, to, re to read the Word of God. We've been warned so many times. We've been exhorted so many times of reading the Word of God. In which I feel is a very, very important practice in serving Christ. We cannot say we claim to serve Christ and not be in the Word. If we have the opportunity, there is. There is a, a story about a man named William McPherson. I don't know if anybody knows him here. And the story goes, he was a superintendent for a stone quarry when a blast severely injured him. He lost his eyesight 
and both his hands in the explosion. But he was determined to read the Bible. So how will he read the Bible if he has no hands and no eyesight? I know, you know, Braille, you can feel it. That's what, that's what it's called, it's called, right? And you, I know there's one way if people can learn it. So he had no hands, no fingers, and he had no eyesight. How will he read the Bible? Well, here's what he did. He learned to read raised letters with the tip of his tongue. And there's accounts, there's, I've also read that it was such a painful stake, his tongue got sore and bleeded and all that, but still he was determined to read the Word of God. And it's said that he read through the Bible four times in this manner with his tongue. The man persevered and suffered until he could make out what the letters were saying. And he took the commandment series in 2 Timothy. Study to show thyself approved unto God. The workmen that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Okay, we have eyes, we have hands, but most, what a, a blessed, a blessing is we all have eyes. So how many times have we read through the Bible? How many times a day, or how, how often do we read a day? Is it once a day? Do we read the Bible? Is it once a day, once a week, once a month? We're... Most of us are able to see well enough to read. So what is it that keeps us from studying the Bible? That's only a question again that we'll all be able to answer ourselves. Is it games? YouTube? Social media? Laziness? What is it? Why do so many things get in the way of God's children communicating with their father through reading his words? If we say we want to be in the faith, if that is our heart's desire, do we at least start with reading the word of God, spending time with him? Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And when it comes down to it, there's nothing more important in our relationship with God. If we're not involved in daily Bible study, then we're not putting the kingdom of God first in our life. Studying the word of God is essential as prayer for healthy communication in our relationship with God. Where there is no communication, the relationship dies. When God looks at us, does he see faith? When he visits us, when we're confronted, does he find that we trust him? 
does he find that we put our trust in him? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith. A few months ago, I had a message here about faith. And if you can, if you can remember, I explained it into four steps. It starts with having a need or being deprived of God or godliness or being deprived, let's just say it, being deprived of Jesus. Then we encounter, we see, we, we see Jesus. We get a foretaste of the truth. Then we are faced with a choice. There's the believing of the presented evidence. And we say, I get it. Yes, I get it. And then finally, there's a reaction to the revelation or commandment that is presented to us through the various ways from God. We respond because we trust and believe. And this is having faith. Without the response, which James calls works, there is no faith. Otherwise, it's just an idea. Without any evidence of the fourth step, there's no life of faith. So, even if the going is tough, there are some times in our lives we walk through some, what we call dry periods. We go through with questions that we cannot answer. We, we are faced with circumstances that we do not quite understand why. Maybe we're faced with a battle that we feel that nobody understands our battle. Maybe we're faced with a burden that we do not understand. Nobody understands my burden. Maybe we're, we're sitting here this morning and we like to know Christ and there's no way. Let me assure you there is a way. If we believe and we trust and react to what Christ has given us, He'll make a way. He always provides a way. He always does. God is faithful. If we are in these times, if we're in these tough times, we're in these hard times, God is always there to provide a way. There is an encounter Elijah had with God after the Mount Carmel. There's a moment there with Mount, after the miracle at Mount Carmel. He was down, was hiding, and simply looked tired. And God asked him, what are you doing? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, Torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left to seek to take my life. Now this man, after he has seen the miraculous working there, God showing himself, it seems just reading this verse, he would hit rock bottom. 
And God saw it. He said, what are you doing? God knows best. So he told him, there's more work to be done. And he told him to anoint a few more kings. He commanded him to anoint these two kings there. And he also told him to anoint Elijah as a prophet in his place. But what makes me ponder is verse 18. God told him, yet I reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knee have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. And there's a few things here. Number one is that he provides a way. And number two is that God always has his remnant, his faithful ones. Paul talks about in Romans 11, verse 3, when he talks about having a remnant there with the children of Israel and that he, that he did not reject them. He said, Lord, verse 3, Lord, they have killed. He was going back to that same story. They, Lord, they have killed your prophets and tore down your altars. Like Elijah said that. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what, was, what, but what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved myself 7,000 men who have not bowed in the knee to Baal. I have reserved for myself 7,000 men. Even so, then at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Now I know we like to close our eyes and we like to see ourselves as the Elijah in these accounts. Like the last man standing and there's hopefully some people somewhere else. But when I look at the words of Jesus as he was warning of what or the question when he will return when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth I think about this and my challenge this morning is will we be among the 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal to live as a follower of Christ with no reservation with no compromise he said, bowed or kissed, Bill. We, we so naturally, in our human nature, we look for an easy way out. And it's all, it also comes when, we, when we're following Christ. We're looking around, we're looking for it as easy Christianity, these easy teachings, and it's our human nature. It takes a special kind of man. When all of Israel goes and bows down to, to Baal and goes astray to not go there, it's like these, these three men that, were, that didn't bow down to the golden image. 
Can we some way, somehow, in our hearts, find that kind of integrity on a day-to-day walk where we do not bow down to Baal? In Second Chronicles 16.9, the Lord confronted Isa through the prophet for not relying on him in war. He was going, making allies with Syria. And he told him, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal, whose heart is loyal to him. He shows himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And he told him, and this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. And a loyal heart will only be formed if we diligently seek, diligently seek and trust God. So speaking about a loyal heart, I think it falls into the category of being faithful. When Jesus talks about will he find faith on the earth when he returns, I think about the faithful. So, loyal at heart towards Christ and also prioritizing on the responsibility, responsibilities that God has given us. I mean, we can all look at our plate and we can identify what we have to do. Did you know that? I see and know my responsibilities. In my Christian walk, in following Christ, in the church, in the body, in my family, I see my responsibilities. And I believe they're God-given. I believe there's, there's, there's gifts that God has given in my life that I do not squander. I believe there's a calling that God has given me to be faithful to. And I believe he does that to all of his children. We all have our plate. We've been giving it. What do we do with it? And it's just even the way God ordained his church to function. We should look at our own lives. We should be able to look at our own lives. And recognize what our function is and our calling is. but only if our heart is loyal towards Jesus and his body. In Philippians, chapter 2, verse 19, Paul wrote, and you can feel the heart of him. You can feel his heart writing to the Philippians. He's letting them know that he will send Timothy to them. And in reading it, you can hear his heart-wrenching pain, yet feeling blessed that Timothy is in all all the way for the sake of the gospel. In verse 19, he writes, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. 
just this verse. What does it spell out here? I look at, at Timothy as, wow. He was a faithful young brother that was in all the way. On the flip side of life, where were all the rest? 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven, proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Just look at that bond there. He wasn't off doing his own little dealer, or doing his own way, or having his own idea. There was a striving there. As a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. So again, in examining ourselves, as we examine us, can my brothers and sisters that are sincerely serving with me for the gospel's sake, Say these things about us. Let's have some me time here for a second. When we look at our brothers, look when we look over at our brothers and our sisters, can they say that very same thing to us? For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Like they've got nothing to lose. But they care. They're engaged. He's engaged here. Of course, when we all look at ourselves, we will probably overshoot. But still, these, there needs to be evidence in our life that I am walking at such a level with my brothers and sisters. At that level... The gospel is meant to live out with God's people. And if it does not come together with God's people, it will not come together in our personal life. Can we see that comradeship amongst us? But you know his proven character as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. Or will people... Describe me as such, for he seeks his own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. So how do I know what my heart is doing, what my life is doing? And if, it, if, if I'm preparing and getting ready for the time when Jesus will return? I've got a few exams here. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine, to see if you're in the faith. Test yourself. Number one, as I just mentioned, is there evidence in my life that I've abandoned my own selfish ways and, des and desires to serve Christ? 
These are questions that we all have to answer ourselves. Did I abandon selfish desires or ideas to serve Christ? Is there evidence that I'm walking shoulder to shoulder with my brother or sister in serving and striving for the kingdom of God? Have I given up personal things for that? As a parent, am I faithful in the responsibilities of doing my part in leading my children to the Lord? Nonetheless, my focus is not exclusively on my children, but on those around me, especially those of the household of God. Sometimes we like to use the excuse, well, I have a family. Well, I believe if the Lord is really working in our hearts, it will not be limited to our family. Because how else should our children see that we love Christ is by we serve other people. Especially those of the household of God. And those who are in need. Is there evidence that I've made commitments to Christ in saying no to the things of the world? Have I made commitments in seeking and spending time with him? To seek to follow Christ and be obedient to him, even if it costs... One of the more sobering thoughts is there's only two ways. There's no neutral ground. Either we're heading for eternal life or eternal damnation. We are on either one road that is leading to our destiny. Am I looking forward? Number five. Am I looking forward to spending time with God's children? Is it in fellowship or worship? That is spending time with them even if they're not my relatives. But seeing God's family as my family. They are friends because we serve the same God and strive for the same things. And finally, looking forward to the return of Christ with a blessed hope that we that he will redeem his church for the final time into his presence. If that very thought just stimulates a fear, just fear. Now there's a good thing as a holy fear, because we're coming before a righteous God. But if all it does is stimulates a fear, then it's time to take inventory. What am I doing with my life? Because the Bible talks about looking forward to it, having that hope that we should be like him. And so there's a looking forward. And when all it, all it does is produce a fear, then maybe there's, maybe I have not surrendered. So if I can say yes to just a few of these questions, then the Lord has started a work in me. But it needs to continue. So in closing... <clears throat> As another year is passed and gone, believe you me, it's good to examine our lives. It's good every day. But a year is a milestone. Just like at the end of the day is a milestone, at the end of the week, at the end of the month. At the end of the year is another one. And Jesus, in Mark 13... 
talked about this very thing. He pleaded with his disciples to watch. Take heed, watch and pray. He told them, for you don't, do not know when the time is. Mark 13 verse 32. But of that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And he continues saying, And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. Just taking this word, watch, is not being sleepy. Not taking the things of God for granted. Not taking our calling, our salvation for granted. But to be alert and to watch and to be sensitive to the times we're living in. And I say to you, I say to all, watch what Jesus said. So I pray that when the Lord returns, he will find us among the faithful. When the Son of Man comes, will you find faith on the earth? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you will move and you will know our hearts. You will be there. Your grace will be there to examine our hearts, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we can see it as an eternal issue, Lord, to know you, to have faith in you, to watch and to pray and to not faint. Lord, we pray that you work these truths in our lives, that we do not let the enemy come in and deceive and distract us, but that our very soul is at stake, Lord. We pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you move our hearts in these things, that you shape us, conform us into the image of Christ, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.